You know, the reason they, they like reading my stuff is that I've always got real-life examples to prove what I'm saying. There's a lot of good people that listen to this podcast. You know, other than God and my family, deer hunting would be next in line on my list of priorities. From the bottom of our hearts, it's it's just fantastic and awesome to uh, to have the support that you guys are getting. People ask me about expandable broadheads and love swings. <laughs> <laughs> Chasing Giants with Don Higgins and Terry Peer. Brought to you by Osseo Camo, nature's most lethal camouflage. Follow along as Don and Terry discuss the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Well, hey, everyone. This is the Chasing Giants podcast, episode 126. July 16th with Don Higgins and Terry Peer brought to you by Osseo Gear. Don is a road warrior back on the road for seminar tour through the month of July and living in a hotel room for about a week and a half. Yeah, I'm in a motel room right now and uh, I will be. Um, no, this this time next week, I'll be on the road home. OK, um, but I got another full week uh, of seminars. And uh, it's been a great week so far. I met a lot of good people, had a lot of good food. I, I just can't believe how good people have been to me. Uh, I, I see it every winter when I go on my consulting tours, but, you know, people bringing me food, cook, baking cookies for me to send on the road and just various things. And every time I make a stop, I've, I've got some kind of goodies that I'm taking with me in my truck, you know, to munch on going down the road or just this and that so it's been fun um i'll throw out there that uh, the first um seminar i didn't know if we was going to be able to pull it off i pull up my laptop and i've got the uh powerpoint up for my presentation i can't get that stinking thing to work for anything and finally i said is there anybody and and i'm in front of a bunch of amish people you know 90 percent <laughs> And I said, is there anybody out there that knows anything about laptops? <laughs> and lo and behold, this lady comes up to help. Well, it turns out that it's Jessica Waitzel, um, that uh, her and her husband owned the Extreme Blower product that uh, I, we plugged it on here a couple of times. I mean, yeah, it, we, we've we purchased them and they've donated units for the Lester's Feet Raffle. Um, they're not a sponsor or anything. I've I've actually never met them in person. Uh, but we know them through the hunting industry, but, um, yeah, we've talked about using their stuff. You put it on a leaf blower and blow your seat up. Yeah. It, I mean, it's the first time I ever met them in person. It's fantastic people, uh, both of them. And, uh, you know, she came and saved the day and got my laptop working in no time. And I was able to go home with the presentation, but, uh, um, <laughs> I'm getting ready to use my extreme blower yeah. before long and plant my fall plots. Anybody that don't, has never used one really needs to look into this. You just put it on a, you know, like a gas powered leaf blower and it's got a little container that, uh, with a, I don't know, what do you call it? A trap door that drops your seed down into the tube and blows it right out the tube with your blower. Uh, it's perfect for small seed like clover or plot topper or something like that. You can use it with bigger seed too, for that matter. But, uh, if nobody's, if, if someone's not ever used one and, uh, you don't have, you know, a fancy uh, drill like the Genesis drill I use or something like that. It, it's a great way to plant. So need to well, last, last time we talked about them on the podcast, I think they sold out all their inventory 
And uh, Jessica told her husband, tell them guys from Chasing Giants, quit talking about us. She was behind on shipments so much. But uh, but no, it, it's a pretty cool unit. I'll give everybody a little tip. I use mine on a Milwaukee M18 uh, battery-powered leaf blower. And the tubes on the new battery-powered blowers are a bigger diameter than the gas blowers. So the little adapter that you wrap the rubber bands around and put it on there, it doesn't quite fit. But, uh, and so, but the thing I found is if you get some foam tape, like you would use underneath of your bed cover, you can buy it anywhere, but just some of that foam tape and lay in there, it forms a gasket. If that tube isn't the right, uh, diameter for that adapter works beautiful. So you don't lose the, you don't use, lose your leaf blower either. The, the little bubble or the container just pops off and you can use your leaf blower the rest of the year as normal, but Great people, great product. Um, again, um, we're not we're not sponsored or affiliated. You just met them for the first time, and it it sounds like we owe them a thank you for getting your laptop up and going. Yeah, I was uh, a little bit worried if I if I don't have my laptop, or my PowerPoint, you know, to guide me along in my presentation, it becomes a question and answer session pretty quick. Um, but Jessica saved the day, and you know those uh, blower products. They they can be used for other things besides just seed too, fertilizer, salt um, for your driveway. Yeah, people use it for salt on their driveways, but uh, a really simple concept. But man, I'll tell you what, and it's not very expensive either. You can yeah. buy them really reasonable and uh, be set it's up. It's almost the it's part. almost the price as a broadcast, you know, broadcast spreader. The yeah. coolest thing we ever did with it is is uh, we broke every OSHA safety protocol out there. But we rode in the back. Uh, I rode in the back of my side by side as my buddy drove along standing corn as it was starting to to turn and dry down. And we blew uh, cereal grains into the corn. Of course, it blew it, you know, five, six, eight rows over into it. And we just drove along the field from a higher elevation and shot it up over the top. Worked fantastic. So uh, for for double seeding or seeding into standing beans or corn, it works really cool too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks to Jessica for saving the day. <laughs> hope you uh hope you get some sales out of being a, a, a good Samaritan to Don as he was uh, needing some IT help. Yeah. So uh, how's the how's the other visits been though? You've met, I'm sure, a lot of a lot of uh, great people. You know, when we have these big Amish crowds, the other thing that's nice is it might be the only time that they get to see some of the videos that you play during your presentations. So it's real important for us to have that laptop up and working. So um, how's how's the other events? You've done three of them, right? If I'm not I did. Just... I've done four so far. Four. Oh, four was today. You did it earlier today. Yep, I did. Um, they've all been fantastic. Uh, the event that I was at um, last night, Friday evening, I uh, had a fish fry. A lot of people stopping by just to pick up fish meals to go. But uh, they said they served over a thousand meals, and uh, there wasn't near a thousand people at the seminar, but there was a couple hundred anyway. And that was a fundraiser for a little boy that had had a heart heart transplant. Is that right? Yeah. He had a heart transplant that day on Friday. You know, he was in the hospital waiting on a donor, and uh, on Thursday night at nine o'clock, they get the call: "Hey, we've got a donor heart for you. Uh, Surgery is going to take place in the morning." And so the family had to all gather up and drive to Pit, uh, Pittsburgh, where it was at, Pittsburgh Children's Hospital. 
And uh, by the time we had the event, you know, the surgery was over and the uh, little boy was doing fantastic. The new heart was beating on its own and uh, he's going to have to stay in the hospital for three to four weeks, I think. But uh, anyway, uh, praise the Lord, that surgery went well. Yeah, answer to prayer. And also uh, anytime that there's a transplant, we know that there's a family on the other end that's hurting. So, uh, you know, that's that's the other side of it. But um you know, God is, uh, God is good all the time. It doesn't matter whether we see it at that point in time or not. So, uh, keep both families that were affected by this little boy in the heart transplant in your prayers. Right. Also, uh, today I had a seminar in the morning at, uh, Lost Creek Ag, one of yeah. the real world dealers, been a dealer right. for several years. And, uh, after that was over, I was only about an hour from the 360 blind a uh, new factory they just opened up. They've only been in it for a week. Last week was wow. a week. And, uh, you know, I got to tour that that new facility and uh, met with Mark Fisher, the owner of 360 Blinds. and Super uh, great guys. Yep, he gave me the grand tour. So uh, in my downtime between seminars, I'm, you know, looking for things like that to do. And um, it was a perfect opportunity since I was so close. Yeah, we have a long history with 360 and uh, not to make this a commercial, but few people know it that when you saw the first prototype or the first design of that blind, you fell in love with it so much you tried to buy it. Not the blind, the company. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I met uh, Mark Fisher and, and seen his blind for the first time at the Northeast Ohio Sportsman Show a few years back. And uh, boy, I just love that window system. It's like you sit in that blind and it's almost like sitting in a tree stand. You don't have to roll around and, you know, twist your neck to, to, uh, get a different view out of different windows. You just turn your head and you're good to go. And uh, can anyway, open and close, can open and close the windows really quiet. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's the best system out there. Hands down. So, uh, but Mark, Mark has been a big supporter of Don Higgins and the podcast and also Lester's feet. Both years we've had a raffle. He's donated a blind for that. So again, people, if, if it, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, extreme blower products that doesn't sponsor us or, um, or in this case, 360 that does sponsor us and is a good friend. We don't talk about it unless it's good people behind it, and uh, and I think the world of Mark and his team there, part of their problem has been, you know, sales have been booming so much, keeping up with it. So the purpose of this new facility was to increase capacity, and to try to get more blinds out the door. So I'm hoping that uh, his success and uh, um, continued growth uh, stays on the same pattern as it has. Yeah, they've streamlined the process. I mean, he showed me the entire manufacturing process they got from you know bringing in the uh the pieces of material that have been cut to you know to the right size and shape and all the way through the painting to the the crating uh to where they ship them out the door so uh that whole process has been streamlined to have more room now and more in or more uh space to hold inventory so uh he thinks they can really increase production significantly but the way sales are going, you know, he may have to build on again. Yep. Well, that's a good problem to have. So, uh, but check those guys out. 360 hunting blinds. Don is also the, uh, Illinois distributor. So, uh, if you're interested in those and you're local to Don, uh, reach out to us and, uh, we can talk more about specifics, especially the changes that they made 
couple tweaks to the design over the last couple years, including the threshold uh, design of the door, which is just fantastic. And I get, I think our favorite was the new bigger size, the seven by seven, that uh, really is a game changer as far as when you're hunting with two people and possibly a cameraman. So, yep, yeah, um, Mark, uh, I, I put Mark on the spot a little bit because my sales have been probably two thirds the bigger seven by seven and one third. Uh, the six by six and and i asked him if that was a trend that followed across the company and he said no that uh, it wasn't but for some reason the uh, people in the midwest or at least my customers are wanting a bigger one so um yeah it's not that much more it's not that much more money but that that foot one foot diameter difference is a big deal yep all right well let's let's talk let's talk trail cameras for just a second and we, we we're both going to smirk here just a little bit because we're not going to feed too much information, but, um, we, we got some good things in the works. I think, uh, I think it's fair to say that we both left last season, um, eating tags, um, knowing that, uh, a last year, uh, basically not settling in the discipline that we try to that we talk about, we try to do ourselves, but we left out of last season with a number of bucks that had potential. And, uh, well, I'm not going to speak for Wes, but Wes is excited too. But between all of us, um, uh, the, 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 uh, we're very optimistic about the upcoming season. We'll just, you, you can comment on that. Well, you know, I put, uh, I've got 30 some cameras out right now, maybe close to 40. And, uh, I haven't got to check any of them because of, of this tour and everything. I, I just, I was scrambling to get them out before I left, but I did have six cell cams in, in the yeah. bunch. And so I've been getting pictures on those six cell cams. And, you know, I, I've told people, I, for, I forget what the number was, 17 or so bucks that I had um, from last year that, that should have survived that uh, I'm looking for. Well, I've got pictures of three of them. And I'll tell you what. <laughs> I'm really, really happy about two of them. <laughs> so, uh, one of them uh, didn't do much; it doesn't appear. But the, but two of them they they put on significant growth from last year. So uh, I don't think this is going to be another year that I don't shoot a buck. Well, and and I'm really hoping that you keep finding absolute giants because the one that I saw today, I'm really hoping he just doesn't meet your standards and he's on Terry's hit list. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know um we'll just have to see what all turns up we might have to let that one go one more year i don't know with with what he turned into that's going to be an interesting story so um kentucky looks very good um um the bachelor group is here um i'm very excited about the month of september in kentucky um yeah it's uh I haven't gotten any cameras out in Illinois. It'll be a couple of weeks before I run out there. But I think, um, you know, there's been years where we've kind of just been, hopefully something shows up mentality. But closing out this year, knowing what what we knew was there and what we knew survived, we had we had a lot of anticipation before we started getting some of these pictures. And then when we got these pictures, the, 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 it, it's going to be exciting. We're, we're going to take you guys along for the ride, but probably not going to share a lot of them 
until they're dead. Yeah, I, I'm not. There's just too many haters out there that would uh, love to use social media as a as a uh, scouting tool. And uh, I, I'm not saying much of anything, but uh, you, you know, this is uh, it really comes down to discipline. There's you and I went through last season, and I don't know about you, but I didn't even pick up my bow. I hunted the whole year, didn't shoot a thing, wasn't even tempted to shoot anything. And I was pretty confident that I was not ever going to see anything during the entire season that I would shoot. Um, when you're hunting real giants, sometimes that's what it takes. If they're not there and you've got bucks that are just a step away, why lower your standards and shoot one of them? If you're compromising your goal, you don't really have a goal. We've said that before. You have a dream. Well, we've got dreams, but we also got goals. And the only way to achieve them is stick to them. And uh, this season, I just encourage everybody, if, you, if you're in the same boat Terry and I was a year ago and you can't find the, the kind of buck that you're looking for, well, be disciplined enough to, to give those bucks another year. And then you could be sitting where Terry and I are right now, um, giggling and wanting to tell everybody, but having enough control not to. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a very small text group that pictures get traded on and we're sworn to secrecy. I'm surprised Dan ha or Don hasn't drawn up a legal letter about disclosure of pictures that he sends well, <laughs> to, to Wes and I. But people in my small little circle, they know that they share the picture. They're out of the circle. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I trust them all. And I've never had an issue like that. So uh, once I get to know somebody good enough to share pictures, then, uh, it, you know, it's it usually works out. It always works out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What's been new with you, Terry? I've seen today on social media that uh, you had a bad day. <laughs> I'm gonna we'll just we'll, we'll warn we'll warn all the adults that have kids in the room. Uh, when you hear my when you hear my voice go up an octave, you might want to fast forward about six minutes from here or however long it takes me. But the <laughs> people are gonna find this comment really. Hey, this really is Terry. Odd. We're going to step aside so, from the normal audio with, um, of the podcast. Um, I'm going to leave so the video playing because you guys might find really it funny when my face gets really red and I start waving my arms around. But we recorded this podcast yesterday, and uh, at this section of the podcast, Don had asked me how my how things have been going, and I'd had a couple really bad days. Um, for those of you who follow me on social media, I talked about uh, a target buck that I found that's not on my home farm that cattle got in. So I'm fighting cattle again. And then just before this podcast, my car got broken into and my wallet had been stolen. And uh, the, the, the story here that's playing on the video is me talking about those two instances and those not being what aggravated me the most the last couple of days. What had aggravated me the most is some attacks that Don had received on his social media. And I think it's kind of funny that, you know, things can happen to us, but when things happen to our close family and friends, we take it even more personal than we um, do when it's something that happens directly to us. So um, as I thought about and prayed about this over the last 20, or I guess it hasn't been 24 hours, probably about 12 hours, I realized that as I started getting more wound up and um, more fired up, um, taking up for Don for this specific situation, 
I didn't do the right thing. And um, to be honest, I, I pretty much went right back at that guy's throat. And what hurts the most is sometimes when we get attacked um, by having a platform like this, um, we don't know the person. In this case, we do know the person. We know the family. Um, this this person that attacked Don with just 100% lies has even hunted on Don's farm and killed a buck. So the stuff that he said, um, it was it was just a, a vendetta, um, for lack of better terms. And I did the wrong thing and started trashing this guy on the podcast. And it just it isn't the right thing to do. Um, I want our podcast to grow. I want our platform to grow, but not at the expense of someone else. I know that many of you like to hear us get on rants and, and say it like it is, and that's fine. We'll continue to do that. But in this case, um, I was wrong. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm a human. I'm not perfect. Um, but it's, it's not right for me to attack someone, call someone a name, which I did. Um, so, um, this is just a transparency part of the podcast where I'm doing a voiceover of me getting animated. Actually, my face is getting really red in the video right now. Um, but you can get a laugh out of it and, um, just understand we're all human. I think that one of the points that I made right about now is that God makes us made all man in the likeness of him or in his own image. And um, I just think Satan uses our insecurities, our, um, I don't know what the right word for it is. He uses, he uses our fear, our insecurities, our jealousy, and different things that we go through to do harm, even though we're created as uh, men in the likeness of God. And um, in this case, I failed. Um, I'm glad that I slept on it. I prayed about it before I posted this. So uh, for those of you who are looking for a really wound up Terry, you're watching him, but you're not going to hear him. And uh, for those of you who feel that it's necessary to um, attack a man's credibility that uses his entire platform uh, like Don does for to helping others and has sacrificed so many years and so many things to chase his dreams, um, all, all I think is best for us to do right now is to say we hope you figure it out and find peace in something that you're looking for. Um, you're going to hear a couple sarcastic kind of uh, uh, references throughout the remainder of the podcast to this rant right here as I'm po pointing my finger at the screen yelling at the people that, uh, that made the post. Um, I'm not going to be able to take all those out. So if it sounds confusing later when I make some references to this rant, uh, you'll just have to understand that that's part of what we got deleted out. Thanks for your patience, your forgiveness, and um, let's just let's try to be kind to one another. And uh, I'm just thankful that this didn't get out there and embarrass myself, my family, the uh, Chasing Giants brand. Um, I'm glad it didn't get out before um, before I edited it. So. Thanks for your patience. I'll splice in here to the regular audio in just a second. I'm done. Let's go to Osseo's spot. <laughs> Osseo Gear introduces a premium line of bow hunting gear that is unmatched, pairing nature's finest camouflage with the best technological innovations. Osseo Gear brings whitetail bow hunters the gear they need to be the best at their craft. 
The unique camouflage mimics the intricate feather pattern of North America's greatest predatorial creatures. Designed for invisibility, built for comfort, and engineered for function. Visit osseogear.com. That's A-S-I-O gear.com to start shopping. Osseo Gear, prepare to be invisible. All right, Don, I hope my mother didn't listen to that. And uh, again, all the listeners, um, I'm sorry. I, I tried to give you warning to skip forward if you didn't want to hear it. But um, I, I consider uh, my friends a very tight circle. And when somebody tries to hurt them, uh, I get a little protective. So um, with that, why don't I'm going to share my screen. We'll go to the first question of the night. And hopefully I won't get too wound up. I'm not sure where this one question is. I think it's number two I might get mad about. But... <laughs> All right. Our first one comes from Ethan Jansen from Ridot, Illinois. He says, Dear Don and Terry, we often hear you guys talk about how rare world-class bucks are. It got me to wondering if they are truly ultra rare or if there are just that many that are taken before they have time to reach their full potential. I know most bucks will never be world-class, but I often wonder how many bucks we see on a regular basis that could be giants but we never get to see them at their peak. Thank you for all you do and a big thanks for being so bold with your faith. It's helped me to be bolder in my own faith. God bless. Well, Ethan, I've said many times that a number of world record bucks have been killed. You know, uh, the, the world record typical bow kill, the, the Mel Johnson buck um, has stood for over 50 years. And I've said that that record has been broken many times. It's just that somebody shot the buck before he had a chance to grow that rack. Um, Percentage-wise, world-class bucks are very rare. I had a, at the, the seminar today, someone asked, uh, what percentage of bucks do I think have the potential to be 200-inch bucks if they would live long enough? And I, I said it's way less than 1%. You know, there's probably not even one in a 1,000 have that potential if they live and, and most of them do not live. So, uh, you know, it's hard to put a number on it, but, but they're very rare and you make a great point. A lot of them get shot before they ever have a chance to, you know, show the potential that they truly have. It, it's, it's sad, but it's part of the game. Um, I don't think it's my place to tell other hunters what they should shoot. At uh, one point in my career, I'd have been happy to shoot a young buck with world-class potential. Um, I've grown past that point as have a lot of others. Um, but you know, I was at that stage once myself, so I, I'm not looking down on anyone, not talking down to anyone, but, uh, you get, you make a fantastic point. A lot of those bucks get shot way too early. The poor analogy of it is there's always going to be the genetic, the special genetic, um, you know, um, animal or even person for that point. You know, there's very few Shaquille O'Neal's. Right. Yep. You know, the, the average person in the United States is, is what, six foot tall, maybe five eleven, something like that. You go to different areas in the world where there's different genetics and nutrition and diet that might be bigger or smaller. I, I, I see a lot of similar similarities there with the whitetail woods. Um, but the ones that get the, 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 get the opportunity to get freak nasty, a lot of them probably do get shot as really good three-year-olds. Yep. Or two-year-olds or yearlings even. Yep. Okay. Let's go to the second question here. 
and I'm I'm gonna since, since, yeah um all right so this this next question I just deleted the last line of it because this guy uh this guy actually left a name on there of who it was uh, I'm not I'm not gonna get specific on that but I'll let you answer the question. Uh, this after, one's after I was the one that went off for 10 minutes, I'm telling <laughs> you not to do it. <laughs> uh, this one comes from Paul from Berg Hill, Ohio. Uh, he says, hey, Don and Terry, just started listening to the podcast and love it. Keep up the great work. My question is, a white tail consultant had a seminar in my area a couple years ago, and he said that all you and Tony the Pratt care about is selling your products. He also said that if he owned a property in between the two of you and there was a 200 inch deer there, he said he would kill it every time. And just wondering if this is true and why he would say that. Um, well, Paul, let's, um, <laughs> let, let's just call this consultant that you named, uh, let's just call him Tom from Michigan. How's that sound? So uh, this guy, this consultant, um, Claims that uh, if he had land between Tony LaPratt and I, that he would kill all of our 200-inch bucks. Well, the fact is, a lot of people have coulda, woulda, shouldas in their vocabulary. Um, some of us do it. Some of us make excuses. Um, you don't hear Tony LaPratt out there making excuses for himself. I mean, he shoots the bucks he shoots, and uh, you know he explains why. Um, I shoot the bucks I shoot and let them speak for themselves. A lot of other consultants do the same thing. These guys that are out there that have got to, uh, you know, bash others um, and, you know, say that I could have done that if I would be there, if I was in their state or if I owned that chunk of land or whatever. Well, you know, this is a free country. Um, there's nobody tied to a certain property or that they have to hunt their entire life. Um, you can travel out of state. If, if you're skilled enough as a deer hunter, go where the bigger deer are and shoot them. You, you prove it. You know, if you've got to just back up your talk is what it really comes down to. And some people can, and some people can't, the ones that can't, um, instead they just bash others. Um, then there's more than one consultant out there doing it. Um, this guy's doing it, but I know of at least one other that, uh, you know, he says things about me that are not true as well. Um, basically to bring credibility to herself. I'm not sure how that works, but, uh, trying to bring me down to their level, I guess. Well, I, I really don't care what people say. That sounds stupid for me to even say that after I just went off on a rant about what somebody said, but <laughs> let, let's, let's take it back to the bigger picture here. Deer hunting should not be a competition. Deer hunting should never be, there's, you've said it multiple times. There's never two situations that are identical. It's not like golf. You can't have two people that tee off on the same hole in the same weather conditions and, and have to compete against each other or the course deer hunting. There's never two opportunities that are identical. And I don't care if people compete in these contests, but these contests, even where you, you enter your name and make a team and what you what you kill that year is in a contest against somebody. I, I don't like it because um, we're, we're forgetting what this sport is. The sport, for me anyway, and I know it's different for different people, but for me, it's the challenge of creating and manipulating habitat 
to attract, grow, or keep bucks to a mature age and then decide if I want to hunt them or not. The hunting piece is the smallest portion to this whole thing. And uh, to for someone to say, if I did this, I would do a better job or a worse job, there's no way to quantify that. If somebody is trying to use that as one of their spiels, that should be a red flag immediately. Dismiss it. It's not even worth saying his name on, on air. Um, I really hope that someone who was at that seminar won't trust a word he says, because how, how do you even quantify that? Um, nah, just more white trash entitled liberals that think everything should be handed to them. So I'm sure that that guy's problem that said that about you is probably breaking into somebody's car right now at a softball park, <laughs> stealing the wallet from a volunteer softball coach that's trying to help kids. That's probably the level of the people we're talking about here. Well said, well said, Terry. You're on a roll tonight. I might get the whole way. I might get fired. You might get a bunch of hate mail of anti Terry. Find another co-host. We don't want to listen to him. So nope, I'm gonna keep prodding you along the whole way. Hey, I got an update about Lester's feet while we're in between questions. The winner of the Chevrolet truck that was donated by Victory Chevrolet and Midwest Land Group picked up his truck yesterday. Awesome. So uh, he ended up flying down. I believe he was from Wisconsin. Was that right? Yep, yep. Justin. So, so he flew to Kansas City, and Chris Yates' team picked him up, took him to the dealer. I hope by the time this podcast gets produced in the next probably 24, 30 hours, I'll have a picture of it. We can put that right now in the podcast. Um, but um, for everybody that has been part of this Lester's Feet journey, there's there's so many families that have been touched by this and with the donations that people have done and given and even if they're buying a raffle ticket with a chance to win the trickle out effect of this think of it as a ripple in a pond uh one small ticket is going to affect so many and um without without stroking you too much i i want to take a minute just to thank you because this podcast, nothing about Terry Peer, people come into this podcast and listen for. Nothing about uh, the master classes, do people want to hear from Terry Peer? You have figured out a way to use deer hunting to make a difference in people's lives. And unlike these people living in their mom's basement right now with keyboard courage, you have, you have figured out a way to use this platform and others to help many, many people. So on behalf of everybody, I don't, I should do this more, but thank you for using your name, your platform, your passion of deer hunting for what we've been able to do. And uh, congratulations to the people who won prizes. Now, as a disclaimer, since my wallet was stolen today, I don't have the Lester's feet debit card. We've locked it down so nobody can spend any money. So there's about 26 prizes on the table down here in my basement that I need to mail out, but I have to wait for my replacement debit card to go to UPS. So your prizes just got delayed thanks to the uh, the the trash that was going around the uh, ballpark today. So just just well, an FYI, your prizes will be coming out as soon. Uh, they'll be delayed about a week. You, you know, Terry, I I seen the post that you went on the rant about yesterday and. I got fired up for just a little bit and uh, I, I calmed down pretty quick because uh, our, our buddy Smokey 
Smokey's Deer Lures was right next to me. He spoke at the last two events I was at. And uh, he, I, I didn't tell him what was going on. He had no idea. But in God's timing, he had words that I needed to hear at, at that moment. And, and he, he pretty much told me, I, I posted it this morning on my social media. And he pretty much said that, you know, every time you take a, a step up in your level of success, if you're doing something good and positive, the devil's coming after you. Satan's going to throw something at you. He doesn't like you to be successful and doing good things in this earth or on this earth so uh he's coming at you if i take the high road i'm going to be blessed within 24 48 hours god's going to send something awesome my way if i take matters into my own hands and i reply and i fire back well then it just becomes a you know a, a peeing match on on facebook or social media but if i just keep my mouth shut take the high road God's got a blessing waiting. So the devil can come at me. He can use these guys all he wants. Um, someday they're going to push me to my limit and they're going to find out what the limit is. And I'm going to come at them in a way they're not expecting. Um, they're they're, they're going to have to deal with it unless they finally grow up, which I don't expect to happen. But uh, in the know, meantime, just in the meantime, just leave it, to, leave it to guys like us. We okay. all got your, we all got your back. I, I appreciate that. But uh, th this podcast has been a God thing. There's no doubt about it. All right. Well, thanks to everyone from the Lester's feet. Uh, we got a family from Savannah that we're going to talk about um, next week. But we did, um, as I did with post, make sure you're following Lester's feet on social media. Um, we try to do some uh, updates and prayer requests from the that page. Um, so make sure you're following that. Um, remember a family that uh, lost their child this week or the last week, excuse me, we talked about it, but um, and kind of played a memorial video for uh, for their young son. But uh, thank you so much to people who tolerate um, listening to us rant. Um, it, it, we, we appreciate your support. It means a lot. All right. So we got a long question here that's going to take a minute. I'm going to leave it up on the screen because I think you're going to have to. Uh, uh, kind of go through it all or maybe answer it in sections. So I'm going to leave it up on the screen for a little bit longer than normal. Okay. Uh, this is from Adam Pauls from Manitoba, Canada. Uh, he says, good day from Canada, gentlemen. Really enjoyed the podcast. It's the only one I've ever listened to for more than two episodes. Forgive me if you've covered this. I have only come across the podcast about a month ago, and I'm working my way through in order at about episode 114 now. You mentioned recently that in your consulting visits that you are seeing more people hunting right, access, etc. Terry mentioned setting up his property according to what his neighbors are doing with the topic of pushing deer by wrong access. Have you ever considered what hunting whitetails would be like, assuming your podcast was to reach enough people, that the trickle effect is that most whitetail hunters change their ways and hunt deer correctly? What if deer were not being pushed away from other properties? What if half the privately owned hunting properties had winter food? How greatly would behavior of the whitetail deer change? I know it is a futuristic, most almost entirely useless question, but your podcast mission is to educate. And what if your mission was accomplished? I am curious if you think in this hypothetical world, if you Imagine making a sizable impact on whitetail behavior, considering that human intrusion is the number one mistake. And if that mistake was eliminated, what the whitetail hunting world would look like. 
This may not happen across the continental US and Canada. I do foresee a world where it could happen in high dollar hunting areas. With good deer country costing more than good farmland, we could see massive swaths of land one day managed entirely for whitetails by numbers of people and the deer living entirely within this area acting completely different than regular wild deer. It's like take, taking the difference from Southwest deer to Midwest deer and amplifying it further yet. What might that look like? Well, Adam, uh, you know, your, your question submission really got me to thinking. And uh, to be honest, I don't see that day ever coming. And, and the reason for it is I think there's so much misinformation out there. Uh, sure, uh, Terry and I are reaching a lot of people with this podcast and through seminars and such, but we're really reaching a very small percentage of the deer hunting population. And there are, you know, a number of other personalities who have bigger audiences than what we have and probably always will. And uh, I don't think they're, in, in many cases, I don't think their information as is near as accurate as ours or um, has the potential to, to influence hunter success as much as ours do, does. But uh, I, I just think that there's a whole lot more people that are not listening to this podcast who are not taking our advice and are, are listening to some things that some, some information that is, I'll just call it lower quality and uh, maybe doesn't work quite as well. And so, you know, for that reason, I just don't see that we're going to have a major impact. Now, I, I do think that deer hunters are becoming, uh, you know, better stewards of the resource for the most part overall. Um, there's a lot more hunters percentage-wise today that are letting young bucks walk than there was, say, 25 years ago. Uh, it, it's a very slow process, but, uh, you know, 50 years from now, the landscape probably will look a lot different because, uh, uh, the the demand for hunting land is such that uh, you're either going to own it or you're going to lease it. Just to, and it's not too far away. In some some areas, it's already that way. Um, the days of knocking on doors, it, it just gets harder and harder each year to gain permission just by knocking on doors. Public lands become more crowded. Um, so I, I do think the hunting landscape is going to change, but I don't think it's going to change in the way that you described because our audience is so limited and such a small percentage of the deer hunting public. We'll never have enough people that have the same common goal either. I mean, everybody hunts for a different reason and to have people do what we're trying to do, it's a very small percentage at the level we are. Um, I think there's things that we talk about that everyone can take from and apply their goal to it, but to say that there's going to be enough people that are going to pass a 150-inch deer because they think he's only three years old is is I don't think it'll ever be that way. Nope, I agree. So, and I don't, I don't, and I'm not saying I blame people for shooting that deer if that's what their goal, where they're at in their career. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there's never going to be enough people on the same page. Yep, uh, we're in agreement on that one. Hey, Spinks from Quiet Cat here in our virtual showroom space where you can connect with a product expert and learn all about our bikes, our accessories, and what makes Quiet Cat the leader in off-road electric bikes. Schedule a live session today 
by clicking in the link below or going to quietcat.com slash meet. This one comes from Ron Edinger from Apollo PA. It says Don and T or Terry was wondering if you guys have ever run into this before. I have a trail camera picture from a year ago with a buck that has split brow tines on one side of his antlers. This year I have pictures of a buck with split brow tines, but on the opposite rack. Was wondering if this could be the same buck from a year ago. Have you ever had one do this? Thanks for all you do. You did. Congratulations on your amazing raffle. Uh, good luck this year during the season. Well, Ron, that it's fairly common um, for you know a deer to have a certain antler characteristic on one side of his rack, and the next year for it to go to the other. For instance, uh, I've known of nine-point bucks that one year the five-point sides on the right, and next year the five-point sides on the left, or or vice versa. Um, so, so those traits can absolutely go from one side to the other. Um, in these seminars that, that I've been doing, uh, one of the things I show is the life history of Smokey. Um, show pictures of him through the years. And, uh, you know, up to five and a half years old, he would have a G4 point on one side or the other. Some years it would be on his right, some years on his left. And my hope was, the reason I let him live till six years old, my hope was that one day he would put a good G4 on both sides. And that's exactly what happened when he was six. And when he did, you know, he, he added 20 inches of antler that year. Um, so yeah, it, it absolutely can and does happen. And it's not all that rare, really. So if, if I'm, if I'm in uh, Daniel's situation and I'm, I'm toying with myself, is this the same buck? So I think he said one brow tine had a fork and then it went to the other side. What are some other tips that you would look at to say, is this the same buck? Um, just for the people listening, you know, we got a fork on one side, then it goes to the other. How, how do I uh, kind of mine down further to say it is or maybe not? Well, the big thing is the main beams. Um, you know, whatever shape those main beams are, if it's a narrow rack buck, he's always going to be narrow rack. If he's a wide buck, he's always going to be wide. If those main beams come around to the front and, Maybe the points almost touch. Well, they're always going to come together and, you know, be pointing at each other and almost touch. If they come up and, and, and come around to the front and swoop upwards, well, they're always going to do that. That shape of the main beam and basically the, the basic shape of the rack is, is going to remain consistent from year to year. Brow tines also typically uh, stay pretty consistent. If they're short brow tines, he's pretty much always going to be a short brow tine buck. If they're long, they're, he's pretty much always going to have long brow tines. If there's, he's got multiple brows. Um, but the thing of it is, some of that, you know, not the shape of the rack, but the, like the brow tines, as, as that buck gets older, you know, sometimes they will add uh, extra brows or stickers off brows or things like that. But uh, the general shape of that rack is, is not going to change very much at all from year to year. There's an interesting little tidbit that you can say about Smokey that you could tell Smokey apart and it wasn't even anything to do with his rack. And that was down the back of his neck, wasn't it? Yeah, he had a mane. So you could even tell him after he shed his antlers because he, he had that hair standing up 
that mane on the back of his neck. Yes, imagine a big cow lick or like a horse mane going down the back of his neck. So I think that um, a lot of times there might be a, a body pro or a feature or something. If you're using a, a trail camera that's got good enough resolution, you could look at for other other different things to compare with between the deer for year to year. All right. All right. Well, our last question of the night. Okay, our last question comes from Jason Clark from Spring Grove, Pennsylvania. He says, hey guys, I was recently introduced to your podcast and I have to say I can't stop listening. I have learned so much about what to do and what I'm doing wrong in these last couple of weeks. So thank you for that. I have two questions. First, with the implementation of legalized crossbows across the country, do you feel that it may have a negative effect on the numbers of mature bucks given the power and the distance they can shoot. And my second question is, I've been seeing some information from another outdoor platform that confuses me. They said that this time of year, July, is a great time to start making mock scrapes and that making these will keep mature deer coming back to the scrape right throughout the season. Your insight means a lot and thank you for taking the time to explain. Let's go, Brandon. After he hears my rant, it might be his last week listening. <laughs> I bet he's hooked for life now. Um, first question on the crossbows. Uh, you know, crossbows are definitely having a, an impact uh, on deer harvest figures in, in many states. Um, the the big thing that I see it's not because of the the distance or anything that a crossbow shoots. The the big thing is the number of people that it brings into the archery season. So a lot of gun hunters, you know, they're now taking part in the gun in the the archery season using crossbows. So we just have a whole lot more people out there during the archery season. And it's really, you know, it used to be that once I got a buck that I was watching past gun season when he was three and a half years old, the odds were very, very good that that buck was going to live to five, six years old. Um, today, that's not the case. The hunting pressure has increased to the point where I never count on any buck making it to the next season. It's just pressure has increased that much. Now, sure, a lot of them still do, but a lot of them don't either. So uh, that's the impact I see um, from the crossbows. And what we're talking about crossbows, a lot of people have gotten the idea. I mean, there's been some jokes thrown around at these seminars I'm doing uh, about me and crossbows. You know, I am not anti-crossbow. If, if someone is, you know, physically not capable of shooting a, a compound bow, I've got absolutely no problem whatsoever with them using a, a crossbow during archery season. What I do have a problem with is able-bodied people using a crossbow during the entire archery season. And uh, if they want to use a crossbow, fine, use it during the gun season. If you're a big crossbow fanatic, use it during the gun season. But um, I don't want people to think that, you know, I'm against crossbows for those who can't um, pull a compound bow, because that's not the case at all. Um, now, the next question, what was the next question he had there, Terry? You putting scrapes up in July. Yeah, scrapes in July. There is no doubt that, that bucks will hit mock scrapes in July. The thing you got to remember, though, is during the summer, those bucks are in bachelor groups, and they're probably not even going to be there come fall so the idea that somebody's putting out there that you get these bucks 
starting to hit scrapes in July and then they're going to come back during hunting season. That's, that's just false. Now, some of them will for sure, but those bucks that disperse to a different fall range, they're not going to be anywhere around where they are in July. So it's not going to have any impact there whatsoever. Um, personally, I start uh, moving my cameras to mock scrapes around Labor Day. About the time the bucks are shedding velvet and the bachelor groups start breaking up, that's when I shift my cameras from food sources to rutting areas. And a lot of those cameras get moved to mock scrapes at that point and, and stay there for the rest of the fall. So I, I, I want to dive into this just a little bit because um the question the question reads is is a great time to start making mock scrapes so i think that there is an element that we can talk about here because we put our rope scrapes out in the winter after season's over that way all the sense there but one of the things we do do during the summer is we'll go and rake that back because we've we've sprayed roundup underneath of it and uh, we'll go pull all that stuff back in the summer to say that we don't maintenance our mock scrapes or we don't do anything with them in the summer or July. I don't think that's accurate because we actually do. So if your question is, should you maintenance or do something with your mock scrape or, you know, use your licking branch or cut up, you know, pine tree and have it hanging down. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but to, but to use that as inventory at that time of the year, I think that's where you're talking about. But I do think that there is it. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think there is things that we can do to prepare for season for our mock scrapes before we move our cameras there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if you've got a mock scrape in an area where there's a bachelor group, there's a very good chance they're going to come in and work that mock scrape. You can get some good pictures there. It's uh, I think the question was, if you get them hitting the mock scrapes in July, they'll continue to do so right on through the throughout fall. the season. Right. And, and some bucks will, but some of those bucks you're getting pictures of in July are not going to be there during the hunting season. Yeah. So I guess, I guess my point was there's things we're not against doing anything with scrapes. I think that was one of the things that kind of surprised everybody at the great debate is, is Tony was really big on a lot of mock scrapes. That's one of his strategies, but they, they were trying to, they were trying to tee up some drama there between the two of you. And you're like, I use rope scrapes and that's a form of a mock scrape. So yeah. it kind of diffused that question a little bit. It's a big part especially in an area like Illinois where we can't feed or use mineral as a way that we use to get inventory. Cause if you have that rope scrape in the right spot, you'll get every buck that's there uh, on that. So uh, a mock scrape, how we use it or other people use it is a great tool um, that has to be kind of worked at different strategies. I, I, I caution people with intrusion topic and also smell um that's why we put them out in February and then go in there and uh, and and just work the ground underneath of it without touching it through the summer. Right. Yeah, that human intrusion factor is huge, and you know, do it the right time of the year, and you don't have to worry about that human intrusion. Well, we've come to that point in the podcast where we have to kind of figure out how to end it. And the funny thing is right now, as people are listening to the end of this podcast, they're going to hear why does Terry keep apologizing for his big rant. And if I decide to edit it when I go back um, and not all of it's there, they're going to be really confused. So uh, <laughs> I don't think you need to leave it actually, but, uh, well, we'll you want, but. yeah, 
but thank thank you so much for all the support you know um um i know everybody's gonna leave a comment that says don't worry about the haters uh we appreciate that but quite honestly it's easy to do when you're sitting back there and you're not getting attacked um it, that, that's a, that yeah that yeah that that's that's an easy statement to make it, it's personal uh we give our heart and soul to this thing and uh are doing it for what we try to be the right reasons and we are just so grateful for the tons and tons of people that have our back and support us week after week after week and uh, we hope that we're making you all proud of a direction that we're trying to take this industry so um can't thank thank can't thank everyone enough and apologize when I get a little sidetracked and fired up. <laughs> well, I, I'm taking a little bit different approach, Terry. I, uh, you know, I got fired up when I first read that. And, and then I remembered that if I take the high road, God's got a blessing waiting on me. And I, I'm going to use that post that was made as motivation to kill an absolute giant this year. And uh, I don't know where it's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be on my home farm, some other farm, public land, what. I have no idea. But when I find the buck I want, I, I'm going to be so dedicated to killing that deer. And I, I may even name the buck after this idiot that made the post so that, <laughs> so that nobody ever forgets that this guy drove me to be extremely successful. I use the haters as fuel. I, I, I'm, that motivates me to want to do even better, to just fire them up and get under their skin all the more. So I'm going to kill a giant this year, people. And whenever I name that buck, you'll see what happens. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thanks for your support. Don will be back at his house by the time we record next time. Um, but be safe out on the road. Say hi to all of our friends. And uh, for the people who are going to be at the events, uh, tag Don and I in uh, in any pictures that you might post on social media. We'd, um, we'd like to see um, pictures from uh, your view in the stands as Don's up there in stage, hopefully with his laptop working. We might have to send the people from Extreme Custom Food or uh, Extreme Custom Blower uh, with you to make sure your laptop works tomorrow. Well, I think I've got to figure it out. She gave me a little tip to what to do when things kind of lock up. So I think I'm good now. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. We appreciate the support. God bless. Have a good week, everyone. Chasing Giants has been brought to you by Osseo Camo, Via Farm Real Estate Company, 360 Hunting Blinds, Victory Chevrolet, Real World Wildlife Products, Matthews Archery, Novix Tree Stands, Gingerich Tree Farm, WildlifeFarming.com, Quiet Cat, and Vortex Optics. Thanks for listening, and tune in next week for another episode of Chasing Giants. <laughs>